At Tarrant, we organize webinars that we are pleased to share on our podcast channel and on our website www.arrent.com. This webinar is the third of our real estate series webinars and is entitled Soaring of a Tax and Regulatory Structuring in Key Pan-European Jurisdiction and it was recorded on the 28th of October 2020. It was presented by Pierre Baisel, Private Equity and Real Estate Partner, Rodrigo Delcourt, Private Equity and Real Estate Partner, and Alain Goebel, Tax Law Partner. So, good afternoon, ladies and gentlemen, um, and thank you for attending this uh, uh, I would say third part of the of our real estate uh, uh, webinar series. Uh, so we had um, uh, a first webinar which uh, dealt with the opportunities and challenges for RE in a post-COVID uh, context. Well, unfortunately, we are not yet exactly in a post-COVID uh, context. So we are rather uh, just before uh, a second lockup. Uh, hopefully, that will not uh, stop business. Uh, we are. Uh, on our end, we are we are positive that uh, business will 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 go on. Uh, then we had a second uh, a second webinar on valuation and liquidity considerations. Um, uh, also, obviously, in uh, in a in a COVID context. And today, uh, we'd like to speak about something uh, I would say quite different and uh, uh, also I would say quite quite positive, uh, i.e about tax and regulatory structuring of real estate funds uh, in key pan-European jurisdictions. Of course, uh, most of the considerations will also work for non-European uh, jurisdictions. Um, on my panel here, we, uh, we will be three, basically. Uh, so uh, uh, me, uh, Pierre Baisel, uh, and I will take a bit of a special role, and I will tell you more about it in a couple of minutes. Uh, then we'll have my tax partner, Anna Goebel, um, uh, and uh, my fund formation and regulatory partner, Rodrigo Delco. So how will the agenda of the webinar be? So we um, uh, basically uh, structured this in four uh, four points. Uh, so introduction, that's what we're doing just now. Um, the webinar will take the form of a case study. Uh, so basically we will go to a fact pattern and uh, we will have uh, uh, experts uh, who will answer uh, the questions which uh, originate from that fact pattern. Uh, and um, uh, we will, on the one hand, deal with uh, legal and regulatory constraints, and on the other hand, with uh, tax constraints. Uh, so that is the idea. Obviously, you all noted that we are three on the panel, so I will basically switch my, my hat, and I will take the role of an uh, investment manager. Uh, who wishes to set up a new uh, a new fund? Always wanted to play the investment manager rather than the lawyer, uh, so that will be uh, a lot of fun. Uh, and I will uh, basically uh, make life life difficult for my two colleagues here by asking questions. So let's get uh, started and let's have a look at the 
at the fact pattern. Uh, so basically, um, uh, Rodrigo Alain, uh, uh, thank you very much for receiving me. Uh, so look, guys, I, uh, I'm very bullish about real estate, uh, and um, uh, our idea is uh, now to set up a new fund. Uh, we know that uh, there is the, the, the lockup upcoming, but we are we are absolutely positive that after that lockup, uh, uh, the, the COVID crisis will be tackled, and uh, we want to be ready once the crisis is over, and uh, have that fund set up so that it is ready to invest at that at that time. Uh, so, so you know where we're coming from. So we are a 20 billion uh, uh, real estate investment manager. Uh, our main location is uh, in Germany. So we're based in, uh, in, in in Munich, and most of our people are sitting there. We have a couple of people around Europe. We have a bit of bigger office in, in in London to see to be seen whether we can use that in the setup of the uh, of the fund. Um, the strategy is uh, supposed to be uh, core and core plus because we believe that people will in the future will be prudent. Um, uh, they will uh, uh, invest into secure assets rather than high-risk assets in the first stage. Uh, and uh, we're looking at, uh, at office space because uh, uh, we believe that most of the people are, or many people are moving away from office space because they believe that uh, uh, there will be more um, uh, teleworking and working from office. Uh, we want to take that as an opportunity because we believe that uh, there will be uh, sell-offs in, uh, in the business office area. So that, that's what we're, what we're targeting here. Uh, so we are based in Europe, so what we know best is Europe, and uh, we would like to target uh, most European investors, of course, mainly German, but, uh, uh, but not limited to German. But uh, we, uh, you know, we have good connections to the Middle East, and uh, there is a lot of money in the Middle East, and we would like to make a marketing effort also in the in in, in the Middle East. Um, uh, on uh, in terms of uh, investor category, of course, we we're targeting mostly professional investors, uh, uh, so pension funds, insurance companies. Uh, but uh, yeah, there are more 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 um, uh, family offices around there, and we wouldn't like to miss out on uh, on, on on those um, in terms of investments again the focus this is a pan-european fund so uh, uh, we're really targeting uh, Benelux Spain Germany Italy France so core of Europe uh, again there is the security aspect of, of, of this we want to, to, to create a secure fund uh, uh, without uh, without huge amount of, of, of risks Target fund size uh, at this stage is uh, one billion uh, to be seen what the investor appetite is, but that's 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 the plan. And in terms of governance, we are relatively open. Um, we don't uh, currently have um, a, a Luxembourg A firm, uh, so we're happy to hear from you uh, what you suggest because the, the fund will obviously be uh, have to be AFMD uh, compliant since we want to market throughout uh, Europe. Uh, so any suggestion uh, will be will be uh, welcome. And again, other than that, uh, well, we have the 
people sitting in Germany and some in the UK, which we may use for, for investment management purposes, but uh, uh, look, we're, 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 we're looking towards your advice to see how we can structure this. So uh, I, with, with, um, uh, with that, I, I draw up a quite simple chart. Um, uh, which shows at which levels we have questions, and I'm sure you can address uh, uh, all those. Um, so obviously, uh, we'll be interested to see how we can target the investors that I mentioned uh, uh, before. So what are investors constraints? What are tax considerations that investors may have? Uh, we would like to know uh, which uh, uh, which is the, the most appropriate form of, uh, uh, of, of fund. Uh, so what would you recommend, the tax transparent fund, the tax uh, 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 non-tax, the tax exempt fund, uh, what, what do you see also from a commercial perspective? And then last but not least, uh, we would like to know how, how uh, uh, how can we structure our investments? Uh, what uh, what uh, do we need intermediate company, companies? Can we go direct? So that that are you know at this stage uh, our our questions. So um, uh, uh, let's dive a bit into that. And um, uh, maybe uh, Rodrigo, can you uh, tell me a bit with all the information that you just received? What you would see in terms of uh, uh, Structuring for this uh, for this fund. Mm -hmm. Yes. Well, thank you, Pierre, uh, and uh, well, good afternoon, everybody, or good morning. Uh, well, thank you, Pierre. It's uh, it's great to, to to hear from you, and uh, I think uh, uh, you have a, a great project uh, that you are um, structuring right now. So I think the um, um, it will be very uh, um, well, very much uh, um, a pleasure for us to to, to help you with that. So. Um, I think uh, when we talk about real estate funds, and uh, I think we can start um, from there. Um, uh, typically, um, we, we have, you know that in Luxembourg we have a, a toolbox that is really uh, very wide and very complete. So we can really go from the, the fully regulated, product regulated uh, vehicle, um, not necessarily very flexible, uh, towards a completely unregulated structure, um, likely uh, supervised by the CSSAC but also very uh, flexible in structuring, and um, we, we can find the right solution depending on your needs. So uh, more and more we are seeing that uh, um, the uh, Luxembourg will rise, um, and in the form of a limited partnership, either an SCS or an SCSP, um, has been uh, used. So it's uh, kind of uh, positioning itself like a, a, a new benchmark. Uh, you, you know, in the past we had the FCPs, it's, uh, which were really the benchmark for real estate funds. Uh, nowadays, more and more partnerships are, are being used. Um, and I think in the very least, we, we, we could start, um, as, uh, or at least uh, use it as a starting point for a discussion, um, the, the rise. Uh, 
in the form of an SESP, um, and maybe accommodate one or the other features uh, depending on the needs of your investors and depending on the investments that you're going to make, and we can come to that uh, later, maybe to see whether there are adjustments that may, may, may be needed uh, to, the, um, to the structure. Um, you also may think about potentially uh, adding feeders or, or parallel uh, entities or vehicles to, to this setup, uh, depending on the needs of your investors or, or depending on where you're going to um, to make your investments. So, um, and, uh, well, as you, you probably know, the RICE is a vehicle which is not uh, itself regulated or supervised by the CSF. It's regulated because there is a legal regime specific to it. It's subject to certain diversification requirements, um, but it's not directly supervised by the CSF. The AFM, which we were appointed, will be, of course, um, authorized and, and supervised by the CSSF. As you don't have your own AFM, we can come to this uh, uh, later and discuss a little bit on how to address that and uh, what would be the right uh, setup for um, the decision-making process. But um, maybe for, for, for starting the discussion, I would take this as a starting point and then we can take from there. Thank you very much, Rodrigo. So that's uh, indeed a good starting point. I, I think we need a bit, a bit more details on a couple of points, though. So um, maybe let's, uh, let's dive into a couple of more specific questions, uh, which you may address. Uh, so the first, the first item that I would be interested in is, um, uh, you know, investors' restrictions. So we, um, there are many, there will be many investors, hopefully, from many countries. Um, with uh, different regimes. Of course, what we're tar targeting make mainly is uh, insurance, insurance companies and, and pension funds. Um, we know Germany particularly well, so every insight that you may have on Germany would be appreciated. Uh, what are those investors uh, looking for? What are the constraints, and how can we address them? Mm -hmm. Yeah, sure. Well, um, indeed, in particular, when we talk about the German investors, be them German insurance companies or, or pension funds, we, we already know that there are a number of requirements that we have to be complied with. Um, but not only, there, there may be other type of investors, depending on their, their, their jurisdictions and to their internal regulations that, um, and rules that may uh, impose on you certain conditions or requirements to be met. Um, they can be um, in terms of uh, um, uh, free um, liquidity or, or, or be able to, uh, to exit in certain, uh, um, in certain manners, uh, free transferability, um, or uh, certain conditions in terms of uh, uh, prohibitions regarding uh, the distributions or set-off provisions, uh, leverage limits, or investment restrictions that may apply. Um, uh, when we talk about German insurance companies, well, they, uh, they require for their own eligibility purposes to invest into uh, entities which indeed comply with those tests and um, be that for solvency to requirements or for internal rules that uh, may still be uh, old internal uh, requirements um, uh, coming from the, um, uh, the legacy of the, uh, the former uh, German investment ordinance. 
So uh, we have to, to look at that pretty carefully, as uh, indeed those restrictions um, uh, will um, will lead to certain structuring uh, requirements. Um, I mentioned, uh, for instance, uh, free transferability or, or the fact that uh, um, you cannot uh, set off uh, distributions with certain uh, investors' obligations. But there are others. Uh, for instance, defaulting provisions cannot provide for penalties that go beyond a certain amount, um, or um, borrowing limits, uh, for instance, which uh, uh, only permit uh, shareholder loans um, uh, in certain aspects and reporting requirements. Uh, but if we take all the type of investors, if you go to more um, uh, international uh, organizations or um, uh, governmental bodies, they may have other requirements such as um, investment restrictions that will not allow you to invest in certain prohibited um, kind of assets or, 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 or underlying assets. Um, and more and more, what we see is really a top-down um, push for ESG compliance. I think uh, we we, um, we can discuss um, this topic uh, at a different uh, moment, but I think more and more ESG is really key for the uh, check the box um, due diligence of the investors, which have to be taken into account. Thank you very much. So a lot of items to to consider. Uh, I take it we can address all those issues in the fund documentation that will have to be drafted uh, 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 anyway. Um, are there any other investment restrictions that, that are related to uh, the vehicle uh, as, as, as such, maybe, uh, that we should be aware of? Well, uh, um, we were talking about a rice uh, as a starting point. So uh, there is a legal restriction that applies. Basically, the rice has to be diversified. So um, uh, below your fund, you have to have at least three positions. Now, um, the CSF is a little bit flexible there. So um, the minimum is 30 percent, uh, but uh, derogation can um, can be granted. Uh, on a case-by-case -case basis. So in practice, we do see that a SIF, a right SIF, would have to have in its portfolio at least three positions representing 30, 30, 40, um, uh, and, uh, and depending on the, uh, on, the, uh, uh, on the circumstances, maybe uh, derogations can be granted uh, beyond that, but it's uh, rarer. Those are concentration limits. This is uh, what uh, we talk about when we refer to diversification requirements. Now, other contractual restrictions may be imposed, either by your own needs. You mentioned your geographic limitations, so this is already something that will be embedded in the fund documents, but also those that the investors may, may bring uh, into the uh, negotiation table. So I mentioned, for instance, uh, international uh, um, organizations uh, or um, uh, investors such as uh, EIF, EIB, or other um, uh, type of um, uh, supranational um, organizations. So they may have other uh, requirements that uh, would also have to be uh, taken on board. You would typically put that in your uh, LPA, in your constitutive documents. Some restrictions may be um, investors only applied, so then you could potentially agree to put that into a side letter. Okay, so all that seems doable. Anyway, we're looking for diversification because uh, uh, we want to, to provide a secure, uh, secure solution for investors. 
Uh, now, uh, next next point that I had on my mind was the decision-making process. Uh, and I, I, I guess there are, there are a number of uh, questions to be raised there. Uh, I think one thing is important for us is that we keep in some way control of, uh, of this fund. Um, with that in mind, can you tell us a bit how we can organize the decision-making and governance process at fund level? Yeah, sure. So um, the SCSP is a, a limited partnership. So it means that um, it is managed by, established and managed by a general partner. The general partner bears uh, unlimited liability in relation to the management of the vehicle, and then the LPs will come uh, as investors into the vehicle. So uh, the general partner uh, will appoint an AFM, and the AFM will be in charge of the uh, portfolio management and the risk management of the fund. So basically, the GP will just discharge himself from this function towards the AFM, and so we only keep um, a minimum of um, functions and prerogatives in its own. So basically, in essence, I would say GP keeps uh, three or four um, action functions uh, that the, it would perform. The GP is the entity which structures, creates, uh, determines the strategy of the fund, so this uh, remains uh, a GP prerogative. The GP is the entity which appoints the AFM, so the GP can also revoke the AFM, but also the other service providers on behalf of the fund. Um, the GP is also the entity which will basically keep the relationship with investors, so signing subscription agreements, side letters, and so on, onboarding the investors into the fund. And more generally, the GP um, is the entity which represents the fund so it keeps its uh, corporate uh, representative uh, powers, the powers of uh, corporate representation towards uh, the, the, the other parties. So whenever there is something to be signed on behalf of the fund or something like that, the GP will be in charge of this function, unless it has delegated that to someone else, for instance, the AISM itself. So with that in mind, we see that the AFM basically um, takes in charge uh, a lot of the management uh, functions. So it's, it, it becomes the, the behind the, it, it goes behind the driving wheel for the management and operations of the funds. And then the question that you would uh, uh, ask me then would be, okay, but. Uh, does it mean that I lose control over my fund? Because you want to manage the fund, right? You are taking uh, your, 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 your initial decisions, you are initiating the deals and so on. Well, there are uh, ways to organize that with uh, the third party ASM, whereby basically, um, despite the fact that the third party ASM um, keeps uh, the, the driving wheel, so is ultimately taking the investment decision, you would nevertheless be there for the sorting and uh, validating and uh, taking um, or driving the, the way how the decisions are made, either through uh, the, uh, implementing uh, special investment committees where you would be sitting or um, having certain uh, veto powers or rights uh, whereby you would influence or have certain control on the decisions, depending on the structure, be that through a delegation towards your entity in the UK or in Germany, or maybe through an advisory model if you don't have an authorization, a license to perform actual portfolio management, then um, uh, being involved on the decision-making process uh, also um, at the beginning, but also uh, at the end of the process. 
Well, thank you very much. That's very reassuring because the idea of appointing a third, uh, a third party A firm which would take decisions on, on behalf of the fund, which we would not have under our control, uh, sounded a little bit worrisome to us, to be, uh, to be uh, honest. Uh, and I like the idea of a delegation model where we would keep the, uh, uh, where we would keep the investment management uh, function. So I guess uh, we should probably think about uh, using our UK guys uh, to, uh, uh, to, to take on that uh, investment management functions because I hear that uh, uh, might be tax issues if uh, we organize a delegation towards Germany. Yes. But uh, uh, maybe Alain can uh, elaborate on that a bit later in the, in the, in the, in the process. Now, noting that, I'm sorry to, to interrupt, but uh, of course the delegation um, uh, in, uh, involves, of course, the, the need for your UK entity to be um, supervised and regulated, which is not a, an issue as uh, we, um, we, we, in the, the current um, um, setup where we are today. Uh, obviously, after Brexit, we have to see how things are going to evolve. But um, to date, uh, th th there is no sign that this is something that, uh, at least from a Luxembourg perspective, uh, we would encounter barriers in terms of um, this delegation process. So this is something that uh, we we should just keep in mind um, no uh, red flags um, uh, that have been uh, put forward so far in this respect. Uh, I'll note it. I'll check with my compliance officer on the regulation point, and uh, we'll get back to you on that. Um, well, in terms of governance, last point, uh, uh, so investor rights. What, what do you see, commercially speaking, in terms of investor rights? Uh, we, we typically have uh, advisory committees in our funds, but what uh, uh, generally, how uh, do you propose to, to structure those, those rights and those uh, and, and the advisory committee? Uh, what do you see in the market? Yeah. Yeah, strictly speaking, you don't have to grant uh, rights to your LPs. You could contemplate an LCSP, uh, whereby the, the LPs only have the minimum legal corporate law required in terms of voting rights. In practice, we, we do see that investors uh, want more and more involvement, both in terms of transparency, but also in terms of um, uh, um, uh, participation in the governance and in, in the process. So um, in practice, what we do see is twofold. So one, investors' rights where um, investors have voting powers, and so there are a number of reserved matters which are uh, granted um, as either veto or uh, matters which require investors' approval, consent, before being implemented, and um, others uh, which are um, uh, through the composition of an investment advisory committee. Basically, we do see certain funds that uh, have this kind of organ, others don't. Uh, but um, in, in a nutshell, an investment advisory committee is a body whereby certain investors typically the largest investors are uh, sitting through representatives. And um, whenever there are uh, issues related to conflicts of interest mainly, this uh, investment advisory committee would be, um, uh, would be uh, convened and would have to deliberate. This would typically be the main function of the IEC with a um, uh, binding power toward the GP in terms of uh, uh, conflicts. Now we do see that uh, IEC sometimes have other 
other prerogatives more on a consultation role um, related to the strategy of the fund, for instance, the uh, uh, visibility on the uh, annual business plan, how the, um, the, the business model is going to be unfolded for the years to come and so on, where the IEC may be informed. It's more an informative uh, role rather than really a decision uh, role. Okay, thank you. Thank you, Rodrigo. Um, so I guess that answers my, my question on the regulatory end. Well, uh, except for one, which is probably the most important. So we are very bullish and we want to move forward quickly uh, and we want to be ready in January. Um, what's the timing on all this? And uh, uh, just so you know, um, I uh, have uh, planned a roadshow next week uh, and uh, uh, look, I'm going to present the project to, uh, to potential investors. Uh, how can I... Uh, uh, how can I look up an investor? Uh, ideally, I, uh, I would like to have those guys send the sign subscription agreements immediately because, you know, the COVID crisis, you never know. Uh, and if they are ready to, to move forward, uh, uh, can you send me a draft subscription agreement so that I can have them sign immediately if they're interested after the roadshow? Um, how would you recommend uh, to proceed on that? Okay. Okay. Good. Well, it's great to see that uh, business is, uh, is going well from, from your end, and um, despite COVID. Um, I think we, uh, well, January, I think, is uh, perfectly feasible as a, a deadline for launching your fund. Now, I think maybe we have to, to see a little bit on, in terms of um, how to address your, your initial discussions with your investors. Um, very likely sending subscription agreements to your investors at this stage, it will be a little bit difficult because, um, well, for two reasons. So one, um, you have to, to have um, the, the terms already uh, at least in place and something that can be binding if you want your investors to, to be locked in so that you can have contractually something that really um, is acceptable for, for your investors. And this will take a little bit of time or, you know, to prepare a, um, the, the main terms and then the, 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 the documents of the fund uh, to, to, to be, um, to, to be uh, in place. But then we, we, can, uh, we, we can talk about that. But I think mainly the, uh, the, the second point is more important is that, uh, well, uh, in order to market your fund um, openly uh, here in Europe, you need a passport, the marketing passport. And for that, um, we need to get a fund which is established and then uh, the passport which is notified to the other jurisdictions where you're going to market. So um, what we can, uh, we can envisage is basically to start the process for the marketing uh, up front. So instead of working on the entire full documentation now, get it ready and only then submit the documentation for the marketing passport, we would work with a short uh, form LPA. We would, um, of course, get the service providers um, agreed uh, in principle that they will serve the fund down the road. And then we make, we start the uh, process for the marketing passport right now. So it means that in a, in a week or two times, maybe we would be able to, uh, to make the notifications. And then once it will take about two, three weeks to get the notification done. It depends on the regulators, uh, the regulators process. And then um, once we are done with the drafting of the fund documents, LPA, PPM, and so on, the service agreements, then um, before closing, on closing, or just before closing, we, um, we, we upgrade the LPA. We, we sign the long-form LPA, which will be used for uh, your closing uh, 
beginning of, of the uh, of the year next year. That would be tremendously helpful if you could proceed in that uh, in uh, on that basis because again uh, we we are very bullish and we want to move forward. So uh, thank you thank you very much mm -hmm. for that uh, for that uh, proposal. Um, before moving to the tax pad, I just wanted to, and I should have thought that in, uh, at the beginning, um, the, um, the, you have a Q&A, uh, you know, feed on the right-hand side of your screen. Uh, so if you have questions during uh, uh, the presentation, just uh, uh, ask them, and we'll see whether we, uh, I will continue them to the, to, to the experts here, uh, and um, uh, just fire away. Uh, the Q&A field is, is, is uh, that's the reason for that Q&A field, so uh, uh, don't, don't hesitate. Huh? Okay, now, this having been said, let's move on to the text part of, uh, of, of the structuring. So, uh, look, um, we, uh, we don't, uh, we, we, we are absolutely happy to pay taxes, so we don't want to, to avoid all taxes uh, uh, possible and imaginable, uh, but we wouldn't uh, like to pay too much or more than our competitors, and uh, if we can uh, create some efficiency, then that would be uh, highly appreciated. So, um, uh, Alain, um, uh, first of all, uh, downstream, um, uh, how how would you see the structuring of this uh, uh, of, of 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 the acquisition of the the the, the, the properties? Uh, can we go direct with uh, with with the fund? It would of course would of course be great because we would save costs on intermediary holdings. Uh, do you suggest uh, to incorporate uh, popcos, uh, Luxembourg popcos, or foreign popcos? Uh, can you tell us more about about this type of structuring? Yeah, sure. Thank you, Pierre. Um, in in the tax structure of the of the fund, uh, there are three levels again that have to be considered. Uh, one is the uh, the target or the bitco that uh, will purchase the uh, the real estate. Uh, the other one is of course the fund itself, and then also the level of the investors has to be uh, analyzed. On the on the on the level of the acquisition of the fund, the acquisition vehicle, the usual question. Is that uh, what should we use? Should we use a local or should we use a Luxembourg property company? Um, would it make sense to have a single property company or should we have a two-tier uh, holding company uh, that owns the property company? Or, as you correctly pointed out, would it make sense to have a direct investment? And also, what are the tax implications at the level of the of the target? Um, and uh, as usual, unfortunately, there's no one size fits all. Um, if you want to structure this in the most tax-efficient manner, every jurisdiction has its uh, particularities, and we have prepared here a few slides to show you um, a few a few jurisdictions, so you can move to the next slide. So here we have an example uh, of, a, of a typical German structure where, indeed, it makes sense to have a double holding uh, company and a property uh, company uh, for tax reasons, simply because um, when uh, capital gains are being targeted, when the uh, holding company sells the shares of the property company,
Hello, sorry, Hello? I've been cut off. Yes. yes, I think it works again now. Okay. Yeah, uh, sorry, I've been cut off. I don't know why. Um, Central. Where, where was the rally? Um, there's nothing better in this uh, crisis that, uh, than the, the technical issues with uh, <laughs> wedding house and conference rooms. No. <laughs> so where was I? On the, on the German side, yes, because on the double tax treaty with Luxembourg and Germany, basically the uh, capital gain that Holzko realizes on the sale of the Coco shares is only taxable in Germany, and in Germany you can benefit from the participation exemption. So uh, you could uh, exit uh, uh, tax-free, and in certain circumstances, if it's a structure that uh, um, the targets capital gains, that could make sense. Uh, the next slide would be an example uh, of um, so also the next slide uh, of Italy, where what we see on the market is for certain uh, significant properties is uh, the Italian way of investing is uh, to use an Italian real estate fund, which uh, which is exempt in Italy. Um, and from a Luxembourg tax perspective, well, we look at the real estate fund as being uh, a flow-through entity, tax transparent entity. So. Uh, our entity here in Luxembourg realizes, uh, anyway, tax-exempt uh, Italian real estate uh, income that is not, not taxable in Luxembourg, whether the fund now is a, is, is a corporate taxable entity or whether the fund is, uh, is an exempt regulated fund or, or, or partnership. Um, the next slide, I believe, is about the French typical structure with the French uh, uh, OPCI, where um, you certainly know that the double tax treaty with France had been amended uh, some time ago, uh, and uh, the 5% reduced return tax rate is no longer available. So uh, what we see now, again, for significant real estate portfolios is to use a, a Luxembourg fund that is, uh, that is regulated. Um, typically, it would be a specialized investment fund uh, that invests uh, into the portfolio through the uh, OPCI, and then the profit repatriation from France uh, would only be subject uh, as a dividend to a return tax of 15% instead of 30%. Um, we, we're not yet on the, we're no longer on the, on the initial 5% as it used to be, but 15% is always better in my view than, than the 30%, of course. Um, the questions were raised by the RAFE would qualify as uncertain, so for the time being, uh, unless we have some uh, comfort there from the French side, um, in order to be on the safe side, we, we wouldn't recommend trying it out with a, with a RAFE. Um, the next slide. Yes, the next question is uh, financing. So, uh, how? Uh, of course, we would uh, like to, to use uh, some leverage in the structure. So, uh, uh, does that create any cash trap issues? Uh, here you have the slide. Um, uh, and also, how do we structure the internal financing, uh, i.e., rather by uh, rather via equity or shared loans? Yeah, that's the, the, the usual question. Uh, is it a, is it a, a pure equity investment or should we use debt? Is it uh, a pure shareholder debt or is it third-party debt? Uh, and depending on those answers, uh, in the structure it gets more complex and there are certain uh, aspects to be to be analyzed in more detail. The uh, generally speaking, shareholder loans can always be um, a very good means of repatriating cash. If uh, we have a Luxembourg property company, for example, even if it owns foreign real estate, it will, from an accounting perspective, be obliged to depreciate this uh, real estate. So uh, the depreciation of the real estate, of course, would create cash that's not a, a profit, and you cannot distribute it as a, as a dividend. Or, so um, a good means to repatriate it is always to, uh, to have some uh, leverage in place uh, where you use the excess cash to uh, reimburse your shareholder loan. 
on the the, the questions uh, on, on the downsides with the loan instruments, of course, is always well. Um, what about the transfer pricing issues? If we have a debt instrument, uh, we need to, the question is we need to have an interest rate, and this interest rate must be arm's length. Um, we need to have, comply with a certain debt to equity ratio, uh, and as you may know, under the under the transfer pricing guidelines uh, of the OECD from 2020, it has been um, indicated that there are no longer safe haven rules that are that are acceptable. So uh, even from the Luxembourg tax perspective, we don't have any um, debt to equity ratios that we can consider anymore as safe haven. So you would need to do an analysis on the accurate capitalization of the of the property company. Um, the, if, if there's a third party uh, lending from the bank, very often you have a guarantee, and there the question raises the, uh, the guarantee fee. Uh, do we need to remunerate it? Uh, what will be the remuneration? Uh, is it an implicit service from uh, from the fund that benefits itself, or uh, is it indeed uh, a service that uh, needs to be remunerated uh, with an arm's length uh, guarantee fee? Um, those are the type of questions that need to be looked into into more detail and that can uh, build in the in the tax structure. Thank you very much. Thank you very much. So, of course, the important consideration is uh, uh, repatriation. So, if you uh, we're doing all this structuring to uh, uh, to be able to repatriate those uh, 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 those sums with. Uh, you know, some kind of tax efficiency. What what are the the the, the rules and, um, and and taxes that apply to repatriation? Well, still, the uh, the issue is that in Luxembourg we still have a 15% withholding tax on dividend payments, uh, and if we have a shareholder fund that is not subject to tax, we don't get uh, the benefit of the participation exemption, uh, which is basically a means of avoiding a double economic taxation. If you have an exempt fund, there is an economic double economic taxation, so it doesn't apply. Um, in order to, to avoid this, typically what we did in the past is to structure it, uh, we, we, we used interest, so you need to leverage uh, the property company as much as you can, uh, the interest uh, being not subject to any selling tax, and if possible, at exit, uh, you could uh, liquidate the property company, because also in liquidation proceeds, there are no selling taxes. And still what we do, uh, which has been uh, discussed in the last years um, quite often, is a so-called partial liquidation mechanism whereby you create uh, those uh, different classes of shares, either tracking shares or alpha shares, and that you redeem entirely at the fair market value, you reduce the share capital, you uh, cancel those shares, and then again, the tax authorities still consider that uh, uh, the proceeds would qualify as uh, partial liquidation proceeds, which are not uh, subject to uh, recurring tax. And so there, again, there is the, uh, a little bit of the dilemma that you have to, um, to analyze from the outset. Uh, is it a structure where we expect net rental income to, uh, to be distributed on a regular basis, uh, which generally is not the case if you have uh, an external bank uh, lending? Uh, or is it a structure that basically only targets the perpetuation of capital gains upon the sale of the property um, uh, because uh, the net rental income basically is used uh, to reimburse uh, the loan uh, to pay for the expenses, uh, maybe you have a property manager and so on. And if you add the depreciation where well, there are no uh, recount profits to be repatriated. Well, thank you, Anna. Well, here in this particular case, since we are, we intend to set up a core core plus fund, we, uh, uh, we expect substantial uh, uh, monthly payments, rental payments uh, coming up to the fund. So, of course, some of them will be used to repay the uh, the loan, but we cannot exclude that there will be that there will be uh, uh, upstream uh, payments to to the fund in this particular case. Um, 
Well, in that, in that circumstance, uh, either we, uh, we, we have to look into, can we change something with the fund? Can we use a corporate entity that is subject to tax? Uh, in that case, dividends should be fine. Uh, but only if we have uh, exempt real estate from foreign uh, countries that are covered by double tax treaties. Uh, or do we have an exempt fund? And if we have an exempt fund, well, then most likely the only way to repatriate uh, profits would be through those um, uh, annual uh, alphabet, alphabet shares or through uh, leverage. There are okay. alternative ways, such as upstream loans and so on, but those, again, they trigger transfer pricing issues, you've got a leakage on the interest and so on, so. Noted. I'm sure you will find those solutions once we, we, we start the, the, the project. So maybe moving, moving up a level, we discussed now the, uh, the representation of funds from the property and the purpose to, uh, to, to, uh, to the fund as such. Uh, I think we touched upon it already, but um, uh, what would be the, how would be the fund level tax analysis? So Rodrigo spoke about the uh, uh, SCSP uh, uh, RAIF. Um, uh, what type of fund do you uh, recommend? I think you answered the question partially already, but maybe you can summarize what you, uh, uh, what you said before, because there will be upstream considerations, I assume, uh, so investors will need uh, or will prefer some uh, different types of, uh, of funds, while there will be downstream considerations as well, uh, those that you mentioned just a second ago. Yeah. I think this all depends on uh, on the, uh, on the, again, on the underlying uh, cash flows and uh, on also on the, uh, on the status of the investors. Uh, the question here typically is do we, um, do, can we use an exempt fund or do we need a taxable fund? Uh, the taxable fund being able to uh, get, collect the dividends uh, from a property company uh, returning tax-free and also the dividends can typically be exempt at the level of the fund. Or is it better to have an, is it better to have an exempt fund? Uh, again, and if we have an exempt fund, the question is do we need a, an opaque uh, blocker or can we use a, a tax-transparent uh, flow through a limited partnership? Um, the the question uh, or the answer lies a little bit in the uh, in, in the tax status of the investors. One could imagine, which is very rare in practice, I have to admit, that uh, you only have uh, a, a limited number of investors uh, that are um, uh, corporate uh, vehicles that are that are fully taxable. And in that case, having a limited partnership uh, as fund as tax transparent could have the benefit that we could apply. Uh, a, a, a returning tax exemption from the property company by looking through the fund and considering uh, the investor as the direct holder of the shares in the property company, and there we could then apply the the, uh, the participation exemption. Um, the other points of attention at the level of the fund are uh, what about the services that are being rendered to the fund? Do we have management services, advisory services, AFM services, whatever? Uh, all those, if they are uh, provided by controlled uh, entities, um, should be subject to transfer pricing analysis again. And then the last point, that's uh, the carried into structure. Uh, can we structure the carried uh, as uh, simply uh, shares in the fund, which is much easier to do with a limited partnership or an exempt fund than with a taxable corporation? Uh, do we need to set up a specific uh, vehicle like uh, a... a um, uh, uh, a, a carried uh, partnership uh, depends also on the again on the tax status of the um, uh, of the of the management that is entitled to the carried. 
Thank you. Well, carrot is obviously an important consideration since we definitely intend to uh, uh, to, uh, to to have the investors place some carrot. I'm thinking about 10%. So uh, let's uh, let's see how we can uh, can uh, structure that. Um, maybe the, the 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 last point uh, uh, my last questions would be. Uh, how does the investor look at all this? Uh, I think one one item you mentioned already, which is uh, taxable versus uh, uh, exempt uh, or, or, or looked through. Um, uh, what other what other uh, issues are important or maybe important for investors or certain categories of investors? Yeah, there the question is are the investors uh, exempt entities? The exempt entities typically prefer to have something opaque uh, that, that that is uh, kind of a blocker between them and uh, and the underlying investment because they don't care because they are anyway exempt. Uh, is it a taxable uh, investor? Maybe he would prefer to have a flow through entity where he can directly uh, uh, account for the uh, tax wise for the underlying um, uh, income and get a maybe tax credit or an exemption on that. Uh, in the U.S. specifically, there are, of course, the check-the-box elections that have to be taken into account. Also, uh, within the framework of, uh, of the ATAT issues, um, I wouldn't go into too much detail for the hybrid mismatch than the hybrids, but uh, these are typically the questions that have to be analyzed. Uh, just to give an example, if you would have, uh, and that's typically the case with um, countries like uh, Korea that uh, apparently don't uh, recognize the tax transparency of a fund, um, if a Korean investor would invent into a, into a limited Luxembourg limited partnership, and we would, uh, of course, consider the partnership as being uh, tax transparent, but the Koreans uh, look at it as an opaque entity. We have a, um, a kind of a hybrid, uh, reverse hybrid entity because uh, from our side, the profits are deemed to have been distributed to the investor while the investor doesn't account for it. And that's exactly what the hybrid, anti-hybrid mismatch um, um, provisions in ATA 2 uh, target uh, as from the 1st of January 2022, and uh, that would have as a uh, as a uh, it is often forgotten, but this would have as a uh, result that the limited partnership, which is usually uh, tax transparent and uh, does not pay any corporate income tax in Luxembourg, would become subject to corporate income tax. So there, it's important for us to see uh, how investors uh, look at the uh, at the fund itself. Uh, do they recognize um, the same opaque or tax uh, transparent treatment uh, that, that that we give to the fund uh, from a Luxembourg uh, tax perspective. Uh, in various cases, uh, the, the example that I said could be solved by by interposing a blocker on top of the fund for this uh, given investor. Last but not least, uh, we also have the DAC6 uh, issues where one has to see whether, uh, depending on repatriation uh, techniques, uh, on, on transfer pricing issues and so on, uh, any of the hallmarks of DAX6 could, um, uh, could, be, could be fulfilled, and if so, if we could apply the main benefit test. Um, that's also something that has to be, uh, that has to be analyzed. Yeah, DAX6 is a bit, uh, sounds a bit worrisome, uh, <laughs> uh, so let's uh, see how that, how that works out. Well, thank you very much for all that. Um, I think we have uh, two uh, additional questions um, up, and people still hear me now.
Okay, I think you are back. Um, so the, the first question is whether uh, we see uh, typically when investing via an Italian uh, real estate fund, which we uh, always do when we invest into Italy, whether we see the lack of managing the Italian fund uh, using passporting rights or uh, rather whether we use uh, a, a, a regulated as GR. Uh, maybe I can answer it, and then Rodrigo, maybe you can, uh, because I had the case now a couple of times, but maybe you can add whatever you uh, So I'm yeah. just switching my hat uh, on, on that. So on the, the, my, the last example that I saw is that uh, clearly you can use the Luxembourg A firm to manage the, 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 uh, the Italian fund. So that is, uh, that is not an issue. That is confirmed and tested. Um, uh, so for, for all new setups, whenever possible, I think that's uh, uh, what we should do. I mean, it depends a bit on, uh, on of course, uh, how many people are on the ground in Italy and how active the fund is. Now, if the fund is very active, it's uh, always possible to set up a branch in, uh, of the AFM in, uh, in Italy. Um, but uh, 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 again, now very often we see uh, the, the real estate funds being managed out of uh, Luxembourg by the Lux AFM. But you have to be a bit careful this when you, um, when you, uh, uh, touch upon an existing structure, and we uh, basically want to move from, a, uh, from an Italian SGR to fund managed by an Italian SGR to a fund managed by a Lux A firm, uh, because apparently that may raise exit tax issues in uh, in Italy because you're moving away substance from Italy towards Luxembourg. Uh, so that's a uh, subject, of course, to confirmation from uh, from uh, Italian lawyers. Uh, Rodrigo, do you have mm -hmm. anything to add on that? I Yes, well, I, I've had this experience as well, and um, uh, I completely confirm what you just said. So basically, um, um, passport, of course, um, is the, uh, the route. And basically, when we talk about passport, we have two ways of talking about passport. We have passporting out from Luxembourg to Italy, and then we have the passport through the branching out that you just mentioned. So in the first case, uh, it means that the, uh, the management remains in Luxembourg, and then you have this potential issue of substance in Italy. And um, uh, regulators are, are pretty picky regarding uh, substance, uh, in particular on the tax uh, side. It's always the same uh, fight between what is authorized from a regulatory perspective, what, is, what can be done from a tax perspective, and then to, to, to strike the right balance. The experiences I've had is exactly the second option where Luxembourg AFM branched out into Italy so that um, its branch would service the uh, Italian fund out of the, uh, the personnel based in Italy in relation to certain functions uh, which are performed in Italy uh, in relation to the uh, Italian SGR, just to remain the safest side from a substance perspective. You're muted, yeah. Thank you, Rodrigo. Uh, uh, what I was saying is that we have another question, um, which is what exactly would be a taxable fund? Uh, I thought all Luxembourg investment funds are exempt from CIT, and that uh, was tax. I think the taxable refers to the investor here, but Anna, you, um, uh, I, I, I let you respond. Sorry, I can't see the. 
Okay, let me let question, me repeat the yeah. question. The, the, the question what, was what would be a taxable fund, but I think the taxable and maybe I taxable fund would be simply a uh, Luxembourg for a taxable uh, corporation, mm. and it would be it would work as a as a holding company as a fund or as an investment platform. Yeah. So basically, you are saying taxable fund is an entity, is a vehicle which uh, qualifies as a, a fund. So it's raising capital. It's an AIF, but it's not uh, a SIF. It's not a RIFE. It's not under a legal regime. It's a non-regulated exactly. fund yeah. uh, under yeah. the corporate form, as an SCA or an SA, which doesn't fit within the RIFE or the SIF regime. That's yeah, it's really a non-regulated SCA. Yeah. But maybe yeah. the, the question was triggered by um, the fact that uh, on the last uh, slide it says taxable or exempt, and I think taxable or exempt refers to the investor, basically. Uh, uh, yeah. So the, whether the investor is a taxable entity or an exempt entity, which would then uh, have an impact potentially on the structuring of the of the fund. And yes, then the as last I said, uh, the, yeah. on, the, on the investor's level also, uh, you have to see whether it's taxable or whether, it, whether it's exempt. Um, yeah. If it's if it's exempt, if the investor is exempt, uh, and you would, for example, uh, have a, a limited partnership, then the property company could pay, uh, in our view, interest uh, to the fund, uh, which is deemed to be received by the investor. And the fact that the uh, investor is uh, exempt uh, would not trigger the uh, anti-hybrid uh, provisions because the non-inclusion at the level of the investor. Uh, does not rely on the hybridity of the instrument, but simply because the investor is per se exempt. That would, in in, in this case, uh, be uh, simplify uh, things. If you have, uh, as far as I know, U.S. Um, exempt uh, investors, they tend to prefer something. They 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 used to prefer a, a fund that would be uh, opaque, that would be blocker, because they don't they don't care anyway. Uh, they don't rely on the on the check the box and so on because they are anyway exempt. Um, Mm -hmm. that, that that has to be viewed also from the regulation, of course, of the investor, ILISA rules, and so on. Okay. Then let's move to the last question. I think then we'll have to, 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 to stop uh, because we're, run out, we're running out of time. Uh, so that's a question for Alain. Uh, could you please explain what should be taken into consideration when having external debts and paying guarantee fees? Well, maybe you can go back to the slides on the on on the financing. Um, yes, uh, here we are. What needs to be taken into account if you only have external a bank debt uh, and uh, the bank? Let's say you have different scenarios. If you have a bank debt uh, without a guarantee uh, from the fund, well then you don't need to worry about the debt to equity ratio because you can. Uh, you can you can justify that the fact that the bank uh, lends you the loan uh, is and the bank is an unrelated entity. Your transaction is arm's length, and the, comp the property company has sufficient equity. Otherwise, the bank would not have granted the loan to the to the property company. If you uh, have a loan uh, and the loan is, uh, however, guaranteed by the fund, well, then uh, the question raises: uh, How much equity do you have in the property company? And uh, you need to determine that the uh, equity that you have in the property company is sufficient. Because you cannot simply say, well, the bank would have lended the money to the property company anyway, because it would not have. It, would only, it, it only agreed to lend the money because there's a guarantee from the fund. And then the, the last question, if you have a guarantee uh, agreement, is that uh, according to the um, 
2020 uh, TPG, uh, Central Party Guidelines from the OECD. The principle is that uh, the guarantee, uh, if, if, if a shareholder gives a guarantee, the guarantee must be uh, remunerated. So there should be a guarantee fee somehow. Um, there are exceptions, of course, if, uh, if the guarantee is, uh, is, is a kind of shareholder activity or if the, if the guarantee benefits also the fund, uh, uh, which you can claim in certain, in certain uh, circumstances. Anyway, if you have an exempt fund, uh, having a, a guarantee fee is not, um, is not something, in my view, that, that, that raises a lot of attention from the Luxembourg tax authorities because it would, be, uh, it would create a, a further expense at the level of the property company, but it would not be taxable at the level of the fund. So it would rather be in a situation where you have a taxable entity that, uh, that runs a guarantee where you need to worry about the guarantee fee. Well, thank you very much. I think we, we uh, uh, have exhausted our, our time. So thank you very much for attending. Thank you also to the, to the panelists. Uh, stay tuned. We'll have uh, uh, our next uh, uh, webinar of the series will, will come up uh, probably in December or January. Uh, it should be, if all goes well, on distribution and marketing of real estate funds. Uh, and uh, uh, we... Uh, are already in the process of preparing the next topics, uh, so probably review of uh, uh, of the of, of the year, uh, the, the session after maybe ESG. Uh, so those uh, should be our upcoming topics. But the next one will be on distribution and marketing, and we'll uh, make sure that you will all be invited, and hopefully uh, you find it interesting and uh, will attend. Thank you very much. Have a good uh, have a good day. Bye bye. Thank you. Bye. Thank you for listening to this webinar. We hope you found it interesting. Should you need more information about our different expertise, we invite you to visit our website www.arent.com. Besides, you can download our new app Arendt Insight to keep Arendt's expertise right at your fingertips around the clock.